Hi, I'm Rick Anthony, and welcome to the Someone You Should Know podcast, the podcast that focuses on musicians, authors, and interesting people. We like to say we're making a difference one artist at a time. So sit back, have a cold one, and get ready to meet someone you should know. Today's guest is a funny comedian that I have known for a couple of decades. You've heard him on the Bob and Tom Show. Now, if you've been lucky enough to catch this guy on stage, he'll give you a bunch of belly laughs. He's a great guy and the biggest name in comedy. Will you please welcome my friend, Kostaki Economopoulos? <laughs> Good to see you, man. Yeah, Thanks for having me. I can't believe I blew the name. I've known you for a long time. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just talking about that with... Uh... With the Bob and Tom guys, Willie goofed up my name in one of the interviews we just did because uh-huh. he said it over and over and over and over again every time we did interviews together. And a couple of times he just completely murdered it. And you know what? His dad, Tom Griswold, still does that once in a while. And I've known him forever. Yeah, absolutely. So I get it. It's you're in your head. It's a long, ridiculous name. Well, I remember no I remember when they came up with that jingle for you. You know, and, oh, they, yeah. and, and the girls couldn't pronounce your name. I thought that was just one of the funniest bits that they had done in a long, <laughs> long time. That's a really good stuff thing, man. Uh, that was good, yeah. Thanks again for doing that comedy gig last year. The last time Kostaki and I talked was actually at a uh, comedy night that my radio station put on last February. It was a cold, cold night. Thanks again for putting a lot of belly laughs into the fine folks that came out on that February night. Absolutely, yeah. It was it was a pleasure. It was a little bit of a weird venue, and they refused to add a show once we sold one out, like two weeks in front of when I, the date I was. I know, and it was, it was standing room only uh, when we were there, too. It's a shame, too. That's but, a good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. It sure beats talking to a bunch of crickets, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. Growing up with a name like Kostaki Economopolis, <laughs> man, I bet you your parent, you, you really and truly cursed your parents uh, come learning how to write that name in uh, in kindergarten and first grade. Yeah, actually, uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but I uh, my first day of first grade, Georgia Public uh, Elementary School. Uh, I came home. They taped my name on my desk. I came home. I wrote it out for my mom, and uh, they taught me wrong. <laughs> it was misspelled on my desk oh in my first grade goodness. on the first day wow and then cut to thir- 40 years later uh i'm in a new york city public school with my daughter we go in on the first day to get her settled and her name is taped on her desk and it is wrong <laughs> <laughs> Tra- the tradition lasts and moves on yeah uh, did you play? Like, did you let's play, not do this again. Let's did you, fix this right now. <laughs> did you play any sports in high school or college? No, I played. No, I played some. I was kind of a soccer kid, so I played soccer up through about eighth grade. And I was going to say putting the problems. name like Economopolis would go like this side up that yeah, side yeah. And back down I, the other you side. You know what? It's a, it's <laughs> one of my great regrets that I never got a jersey with my name on the back. I never did. No, you should you should go ahead and do that because you've been so involved with uh, with NFL. You should go ahead and have Economopolis that didn't have a hyphen and have the rest of your work on name on the other yeah. side. Or, you know, or it's funny. The NFL, the NFL shop has had a longstanding rule. It's a 12-letter max, and I've got 13 letters. Oh, my. I think they fudged it a little. I think you can get 13 now, but it's like a special order. <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, I used to announce hockey games, uh, high school hockey games, college hockey games and such. And one of the parents came up to me and said, you mispronounced my kid's name. I said, your your son has got 16 consonants and, and two, two, <laughs> two vowels, you know. <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah. And his yeah, name, Eastern, literally his name, Eastern, yeah, literally his name yeah. went like this, this, and this. And it was just so long. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Good Polish Yeah, those name. Eastern European names are 
man they're hard to look at sometimes oh, yeah. you're like where does where where does the sound go i don't know where the <laughs> vowels are in this crazy name oh gosh uh your uh, career began in 1993 you're attending uh, grad school at university of georgia what was your major was it political science yeah it was poli sci and then in grad school i was studying uh american mostly american politics american elections things like that yeah it's uh, crazy so you you could have been one of those washington reporters then couldn't you yeah, well, I was the goal was to teach uh, American government. Both uh-huh. of my parents have PhDs and were professors and and lifelong teachers in different capacities through their lives. My dad, in particular, was kind of a model of mine. He was he did uh, thirty years of teaching co- at the college level, uh-huh. Doctor E. Uh, and uh, my mom bounced around and did a bunch of cool stuff with with. She was mostly a middle school math teacher, and then eventually graduated and taught middle school math teachers how to teach math kind of thing uh and and you know so i i i was gonna teach and and i still have my books i saved them and thought well i'll go on the road and if it doesn't work out i'll come back and i'll teach american government at some some small school somewhere and uh <laughs> you know what it, it still might not work out uh, well that's just it you know here's the thing <laughs> if you've got two parents especially two uh educators for for parents when they found out that you were going to take your degree and do stand-up comedy. How did they take that idea? It, you know what? My dad was. My dad has a thick Greek accent. He said, "You want to be standing comedian? Are you crazy?" <laughs> uh, but he was, and my mom too. But and my mom to this day is still like, "Dad's gone, but mom has been my greatest fan always." She and both of them, they supported me. You know, they were a little worried about me at the beginning. It's such a weird dream to try to chase, but. Uh, they always came to the, sh- you know, I would work the Atlanta punchline, my home club, you know, once a right, year or yeah. so. And they would always come, pick a night, bring their friends. They were very supportive in the early days. I, I kind of used their house as a home base, you know, for a couple of years when I was on the road. And, and, it, and there was a stretch when, you know, in the old days, the clubs were some of the, most of the clubs were full weeks. Now they're mostly weekends, right? But in the old days, the clubs would go Tuesday to Sunday or Monday to Saturday or something. And I would book three, four, five of them in a row and not come home. I would just go. I would go from Toledo to Cincinnati to Oklahoma City and Minneapolis and then come back for a week after all that stuff. So, wow. they, I mean, the old days, the road was... It was definitely a, a a young man's game then. It is now, but even more so then. You would really be gone for a while. Right, I totally get that. Now, uh, it's nice to have supportive parents. I'll never forget when uh, I was uh, first got into radio, I'd be sending air checks uh, to my, my dad to, to listen to and such, to hear his little boy on the radio and such. And uh, it usually was rock stations. I did rock for 20, 23, 24 years, and country was 16 years or something like that. He says, I love hearing you on the radio, but you don't play enough polkas. <laughs> What? <laughs> you don't play enough polkas. No one's ever given that note ever. Oh no. <laughs> no, my dad was a was Polish, so yeah, it was a big thing was polkas and such. <laughs> uh, being air checks, do they still call it that? Well, the thing is, it's to- totally different nowadays because uh, there's there's no tapes. You know, you used to pop a tape in every time you hit the microphone, it cued the thing. You took it into yeah. the uh, the program director, and he told you what you were doing right, what you were doing wrong, and right. uh, and nowadays. Uh, I don't even know how they do it anymore. I mean, I, I just re- recently retired, so 
uh, it's it's just you kind of have to do it yourself if you want to actually get a copy of what you sound. But like. is it a now? Do you, I mean the 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 change for comics is always because I used to send I used to send VHS tapes and headshots and bios right. in a mailer. Um, but now it's just you just send a YouTube clip. Is it is that sort of does radio have a parallel I, universe for that? I I, th- I, th- I think we're still going with MP3 files of us on the radio. Uh, that's I mean the last right. That's the last thing I did when I got that job in Laporte. That's what I did was I had an MP3 when I was uh, on the so air. So that's a modern air check, it, it right? Is, it's yep, just a yep, different pretty technology. Much so, pretty much so. And before before I actually retired, I was you know recording my shows you know from another room type thing and uh, and making sure that I had that for posterity's sake. Wait, uh, did you bury the lead? Did you retire since I saw you? Yeah, or were you yeah, retired I, when I, I saw you. I re- then? No, I retired just uh, just this last uh, January, January first. Congratulations! Yeah, after forty four plus years, uh, I, I finally hung it up. That's why I'm doing this podcast show. It's this is my nicotine patch. Yeah, too, so great. I don't have to go back into radio again. <laughs> right? No, that's a perfect answer. I love it. Being a comedian, there's always a, a go to joke. One thing when your audience starts to turn on you, you need to reel them back in. What's your go to joke? I used to do one I used to do was uh, extra virgin olive oil. What the hell does that mean? It's extra virgin. No one ever hit on it. It never went to the prom. It's extra virgin. You think the cartoon character olive oil was a virgin? That would explain Popeye's forearms. <laughs> that one was one of those, yeah. you know, jokes. That, well, they, in my head, they sort of have percentages, you uh-huh. know, right. That one's that one's like ninety nine in a club setting. That's one of the safest ones. I, I if I was ever tanking or had some weird interaction, I could drop those couple of lines and sort of you know rebuild the machine from there. You know, or if my closer didn't work, I could do that line to get out. You know, <laughs> how do you handle hecklers? You know what? I used to be panicked about it. I didn't want to talk to the crowd. I'm very much a writer-driven style. Uh, it was about the words and the jokes. I didn't even particularly like the performing. It was just I had to do it in order to get the jokes out. I think that the trick I use, it's not particularly uh, cutting edge, but it does work, is to react organically. You know, like if it's something, if you said it really loud, go, I, that was loud. Are you okay? Like, it helps release the tension in the room to say the truth. Uh, that's a little bit of an improv trick that I've learned. You know, if somebody sounds drunk, did you start drinking in around noon today? You know, so you can disarm the moment by being honest with it or like, wow, your voice is terrifying. Or, you know, <laughs> boy, I bet your husband loves, you know. Loves it when he when you're not around. It gets a little peace and quiet. <laughs> uh, anything to react in an organic way to what's happening. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, as a comic, you've got the microphone, the lights, and the attention, and hopefully the love of the audience. Y- you're allowed to tear them apart too. You know. Right. Right. And that's what I don't understand is individuals who will come up to you after the show and say, I was offended by that particular joke. Everyone's up for grabs. Everything's up for grabs when you go to a comedy venue. I don't think they get that. It's very strange to me that that's, I guess it's always happened. I feel like we're having a cultural conversation about things and we're we're getting very sensitive as a group. It's funny to me because that's part of the joy of a stand-up situation. It's non-corporate. It's not on TV. There's no sponsors there's no advertisers it's one of the last bastions of unadulterated free speech and part of the joy of stand-up is that you're in a dark room having drinks and we're saying things you're not supposed to say in polite society (laughs) absolutely 
you know, that's not, not everyone embraces that as part of the deal, but that's one of the joys of standup in my mind. So to like try to play some gotcha political game where you grab a comics joke and pull it out of the room and out of context and put it in black and white print with no smiling and no, no understanding of the greater scene that you were in to try to get them. It's just, it's sad, lazy journalism, in my opinion. It's right. not even a, it's not even a real thing, but it is clickable. So I understand why it works, but it's kind of, it's kind of, you should be, you should be ashamed if that's what you're doing for journalism, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange when you wind up having an individual in the audience. Oh, you know, my, my son is disabled and you made fun of him, blah, 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 blah. All you, all you can do is just say, Hey, uh, yeah, if I were to clean up my act and so I didn't offend anyone, I wouldn't be up on stage. And, it really is true. At yeah. some point, the, you get a, you have to, you have to, you know, be aware and be not be tone deaf to the situation. You don't want to be a jackass. Uh, but also, yes, if you carve down all the edges, you're just left with vanilla ice cream. And that's not what everybody wants. No, you know, that's for sure. That's for sure. To, right. your, to your credit, you've done Showtime specials, Last Comic Standing, Nick, not was it Nick Mom Night Out? Also oh, yeah. uh, performed at all 50 states. I that one. Uh, you covered the country's best clubs, most beautiful theaters, dozens of colleges. You made it to the Tonight Show, uh, Late Late Show, the best damn sports show. All these comedy gigs, what would you call your high watermark? Well, it depends how you define it. You know, here's a weird story. I, one of the reasons I got into stand-up is I wanted, to, I wanted it to take me places that I would never otherwise see. There's something romantic about the cowboyness of it. Like, right, yeah. oh, I got all these places I have to go. And then I get to experience the going and the being there. Uh, and one day I was, uh, I was eating a tuna fish sandwich on my bed in the hotel at the uh, Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. Oh, nice. Gen- nice, uh, nice venue there. Yeah. It's got the world's largest outdoor aquarium in the backyard. It's a ridiculously beautiful place. And the pr- I, was, I was flipping around the TV. The prize on Jeopardy was a week at Atlantis. And I was there for two weeks, and I got to tell jokes, and they were paying me. I was like, I win, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's just one of many examples of like a moment in time where I'm like, you know what? My life is 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 a great gift, and it's because of stand-up comedy, you know, that I that I put my head down, I did all the work, and I you know, I hung in there when it was hard and I got lucky here and there and I just kept working and I get to have this weirdo fantastic existence and I believe me, I I feel blessed. It's been it's been a pleasure. And you're good at it too, and that's the thing. I mean, there's just so many people that are in the biz in certain businesses, the entertainment business, and they just aren't good. And uh, I know it's just, it's just like, boy, you really and truly uh, missed your calling. I always get a kick out of that. I, I said, you know, if something were, were to happen to my throat, uh, I actually had on uh, uh, Judy Rodman on. Judy was a country singer back in the 80s, but now she is a, uh, a vocal coach out of Nashville. And we were talking about the fact that I had surgery and I, I was only concerned about the anesthesiologist you know, playing with my vocal cords. I said, that's why I make my living. You know, don't mess with it because I don't have any other skills. Right, <laughs> Being right. on the radio is my only skill. So uh, I, you know, that's, that's just it as far as that goes. And you got to, you've been doing such a wonderful job entertaining people through the years. You, you were on the Tonight Show. Was that Leno, uh, Jimmy or Conan? Who was, who was? Uh... Actually, that Tonight Show credit is a writing credit, not, oh, okay. a, uh, not an appearance credit credit i used to i used to write jokes since i would sit in nebraska or wherever i was and write 15 
20 jokes in the middle of the day and facts that they called us faxers. I was emailing it by the time I was doing it. Uh, We would email jokes to Jay's writing group. And, you know, every once in a while they would pick one and do it. And it was really exciting for me. Sometimes I would, I would run out of the room. I was talking to 62 people and I would watch the screen and Jay Leno would tell a joke to 4 million that I wrote. You know, there's something very, rewarding to me about that uh-huh. and it made it seem possible to me like oh okay i can hang with some of these best writers in the world once in a while and i'm not even there i mean if i was in the room they'd obviously be picking my stuff more often so that was kind of an important step for me at least psychologically Wonderful. i think it paid 75 dollars a joke <laughs> if they pick one which is ridiculous to get on a national show to talk to four million people but we weren't official writers. We were just the, we were, there were a handful of guys that sent stuff in from the road. We were just like an addendum email team, you know? Right. I, uh, I did, uh, for 19 years at the All Star Radio Network, I did uh, morning show prep, just like you did for, uh, the, for Wise Brothers, for the complete sheet. Oh, the complete sheet. Yeah, you yeah did, that's you did, right. You did complete sheet. I was uh, All Star Radio. I, I was doing uh, comedic voices. I was doing a lot of crazy commercials and such. And it's just a oh, thrill to hear just to hear your stuff, you know, on the on the thing. It was strange when I first started. They 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 offered me twenty five dollars per bit. I said, "Tell you what, keep the twenty five dollars. Give me the real. That way, I can hear all the other stuff, and oh. and so that way I can grow." As a comedic writer, and the stuff that we had back in the '80s was just pretty doggone funny. Blew me away. Some of the stuff that we came up with that uh, actually made me a better writer uh, today, even that much. Ah, that's great. I yeah. love that. Yeah, when I started at the Complete Sheet, they paid us seven dollars for jokes that they picked, and no money for jokes they didn't pick. But they picked them. I picked a lot. So yeah. I mean, daily you would get. I would write every day. That was another step. That was another step. That was more of a work ethic kind of. Yeah you know, lesson for me of like, okay, put your head down. Yes. There's a blank page. Yes. This is scary. Shut up and do it anyway. Uh, you know, I, I, I made some, you know, by early comedian standards, I made some pretty good money seven times 20 or whatever, you know, it ends up being money at the end of the, right. the end of the week at the end of the couple of weeks. So, you yeah. know, and it was good. It was a good experience. It was a little frustrating to, I mean, you know, this too, when you're writing for somebody else, you don't get to make the final decision about what the what's chosen. Right. And sometimes my babies weren't chosen and it hurts a little. Like that's oh, the best to- joke. Why did you even pick this other thing? I barely even typed it in. This is the joke right here. You're picking it wrong, you know. You know what's strange? Sometimes uh I no, I used Wise Brothers for the <laughs> last uh, 10, 15 years or so, right after I got out of uh, All-Star Radio and the the material I used, I used a lot of their stuff, but I would often rewrite some of the some of their own punchlines. Just oh, right. because I because I thought it flowed a little bit better differently or whatever. Anyways, well, yeah, that's that's yeah. the purpose of a of a prep sheet. It just it's just like somebody assisting you. Uh, yeah, hopefully, right. you're putting your own spin on it. Th- yeah. You hear an, you hear announcers reading it word for word and and not not getting it. You know, it's just why did you even bother? I got to right. ask you this. This is something that you and I talked about last year that I wanted to share with the audience. This is a totally different audience here. We there was a section we always do called Tales from the Road. These are the infamous road stories of going to a gig from a gig type thing. <laughs> you told me a story about Ala- working at a dive bar in Alabama during dark night. Could you please retell that story? Because that's 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 worth that's worth the, the listen to right now. You want me to cry into the pillow again? <laughs> that Rick, that sounds fine. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I I had my uh, master's degree in my pocket, and I was exploring. Uh, 
being a professional comedian in the very early days, Jasper, Alabama. Wait, I, I mean, I'm from Atlanta. So if you think about if you're if you draw a drivable circle of six hours in all the directions from Atlanta, there's a lot of goober land out there. Right. Absolutely. And a lot of my early gigs were in Ramada inns and dive bars and places that should never have comedy. And that, but that's where you go when you're new. So Jasper, Alabama, <laughs> I get to the <laughs> The there's a dart tournament on the night they double book comedy and dart, the dart tournament on the same night. So they move the comedians from where the stage normally is to the other end of the room. And they put us on the stage of the, like the main stage overlooking the dance floor, but there were no tables and chairs on the dance floor. So we were literally set up to an open wooden floor to no one right and there were some people a little bit on the sides of the dance floor who were kind of paying attention to the stand-up show but invariably something would happen <laughs> in the dart tournament during one of my setups <laughs> hey did you ever notice in the, whoo, and the, the seven people who were kind of watching would turn to see what was happening at the other end of the room <laughs> It was a nightmare. And I, I literally, I think it's the only night I fully cried into a pillow. <laughs> I had already said no to some other professional opportunities, and oh, I was geez. really committing to being a comic. And the headliner was this old, bitter dude. It was even because I was just a kid, you know, I mean, I, I cared about it emotionally, but I didn't. I didn't really need the money yet. You know what I mean? Right. I, I get but the that. headliner who was Christmas future for me was having a miserable life. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is just a disaster in all directions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness it got better and you didn't, uh, you didn't give up. That's a good story. Those, I, I love those stories. I really, truly those do. things toughen you up. I mean, there's, and, and for comics, there's a certain badge that you wear. Cause when you meet each other, you know, without even talking to the person yet that, they've they've done hundreds of those kinds of things that right. they've they've driven 12 hours to a club and get there and it's locked and it doesn't exist oh, yeah. anymore oh yeah we've all had that moment and you know the the ups and downs of just murdering and killing and then the very next show there's just crickets and people can't believe that you do this for a living the swings and comedy are pretty big oh yeah i had uh, one individual <laughs> mentioned the fact that they got to the gig and thunderstorm came through, you know, lost power. What are you going to do? You, you can't you get a dark, you get a dark room. People are still, yeah. are, are still drinking. And it's like, okay, you know, you, you, your microphone's dead. And you're just like, you need a Mr. Bullhorn is what you need to do. You need to do. I've, I've but, done need, that. I actually did it. We did a gig with a buddy of mine in West Virginia. And there was an outage during the show for a while. And there's no sound. And I was just holding a table candle near me like a microphone so they could kind of see my face. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> the things we do for our craft, isn't that the right? The show must go yeah, on, absolutely. baby. What are you going to do? Cancel the show? No, we're not canceling. <laughs> we're, we're just going to talk louder with no microphone and stand near a candle and make this thing work. That's and and, and then pray the check clears, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's talk about some links to uh, so people can book you because uh, that's the big thing in this. I'd love love for you to get some bookings as a result of this. Oh, uh, Kostaki dot com, c o s t a k i dot com. There's an email link on there if you want to uh, inquire about bookings. I'm uh, I'm available to come do your private party or corporate show or 
One thing that I've done uh, several of in the last few years is uh, charity events. Okay. Where you book me for X amount, and then everything you make over that is for the charity. And yeah, Kostaki.com has all that stuff. And come come follow me on the uh, social media platforms, particularly YouTube. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Take care. And uh, and Leslie says hello. Leslie says hello. My wife. Oh, she, cool. Say video. hello back. Thanks so much, Rick. I appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. Take care, man. Hi, this is Rick Anthony thanking you again for listening to this episode of Someone You Should Know. Now, if you're an aspiring musician or an established musician that's looking for a little exposure, I invite you to drop us a line at someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. That's someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to tell a friend about the Someone You Should Know podcast. I thank you for tuning in this time and I invite you to check us out next time on the Someone You Should Know podcast, because you never know who's going to show up. Until next time, remember, God loves you, and so do I.